Well, I have the prayer this morning because Al is home and been with the cold. So let's pray. Father God, we are so glad that we can come together and worship this morning. We thank you for all of your blessings that we've enjoyed. We thank you that you are with us through the trials and problems of life. We know there are many in our class today who are grieving, and we just pray that you will comfort them. We ask that we will all listen to the lesson this morning and take it out with us next week so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Morning. Don't feel very loud this morning. A little more volume. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. What? Well, it's good to be back with you. Uh, Happy New Year. And um, missed you all. I'm grateful uh, to be back. Um, lots happened. I'm grateful to, to Dave and Kathy who uh, taught in my absence. Um, had, we've lost people over the, the holidays. Um, I, I missed two, two weeks. And um, going to give me more. Go give me another boost. There, you there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I feel like I haven't seen you for a month. Um, I missed the Sunday right before Christmas because our family was out of town. Some of you know we have this new tradition that's five or six years old now that um, Kim designed where we. Kim used to get frustrated when we invite our kids home for Christmas and they come home for the week and then every evening they go out and visit their friends and we'd never see them. And so she said, I'm not going to have any more of that. And so we go somewhere um, and rent a house or something somewhere for a week and live together and there's, we go somewhere where they don't know anybody but us. And so uh, they're stuck with us for a week. And so, uh, what's that? <laughs> and uh, so it's good. And uh, the kids are scattered and they don't themselves get to be together very often. So um, we're down at Isle of Palms for a week and uh, hadn't been there before. That was nice. Um, it's really nice in the winter when no one else is there either. Uh, you have the beach to yourself. And uh, for those uh, introverts like myself who we like people, but you just wear us out. Um, uh, it was a refreshing week. And then uh, last, and then of course the next Sunday, we didn't have Sunday school, so didn't get a chance to see you then. And then last Sunday, um, I was at, some of you know I'm a member of the Society of Christian Ethics, and we have our annual meeting um, last week, and so I was in Louisville, Kentucky for about five days. 
So I am glad to be back. And um, in looking at the, the lessons, um, I, was, I was grateful that Dave picked up on uh, the song of Simeon and Anna uh, right before Christmas. Um, I want to use the same text <laughs> um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's a powerful reminder that uh, the Word of God is inexhaustible. And so um, I, I, I did look at the notes from that day, and I'm sure notes didn't capture everything that Dave said. So if there's, if there's repetition, you know, I'm a teacher, I believe in repetition. Um, but I'm hopeful that there's some other things too. I also want to connect that story of Simeon and Anna um, maybe with the, the baptism of Jesus, which is what we're celebrating today. So we'll see if I can pull that off. No guarantees, but I'm, I'm going to try. Um, but I've been so struck. Uh, one of the reasons I took those, I was looked at these sort of three couples, uh, men and women, in the opening chapters of Luke. Um, we looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah and the Song of Zechariah. We looked at Mary and Joseph and Mary's song. And then we looked at, with Dave, and then again today, uh, Anna and Simeon, uh, who aren't married. Uh, they're not a couple in that sense. But Luke, Luke loves pairs. I don't know if you ever noticed that in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke loves pairs. Um, and you see it really powerfully at the beginning. But if you, if you pay attention through the rest of the Gospel of Luke, he'll often pair interesting stories together. And part of Luke's, part of, we've talked before about uh, each Gospel being sort of a different portrait of Jesus. Um, and like any portraiture, they're different, right? If you have four different painters paint the same person, it's not going to be the same thing. And one of Luke's portrait, uh, one of the emphasis of Luke's portrait, because he's writing uh, primarily to Gentiles, is, is to somehow catch the sweep of God's mission in the world, of God with us in Jesus, to get caught up in the breadth of the mission of God in Jesus. And so, for example, one of the ways Luke does that is he mentions more women than any gospel. And he often pairs men and women together in the, in the stories in ways that are sometimes surprising. And so we've seen that three times in the first two chapters uh, where you have these men and women uh, together as part of, of God's mission. The other thing you catch in, this, in these three pairs is three people in different stages of life. Um, we get uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are older, but yet, surprisingly, uh, capable by the act of God of having a child, right, in John the Baptist. And then we get Mary and Joseph, who we sometimes forget. We don't know how old Mary was, but we know it was not uncommon in Jesus' day uh, for Jewish women to be betrothed, to be engaged when they were 11 or 12. Okay? Now, we don't know if Mary was that young, but it, it wouldn't have been unusual if she'd had been. Okay? 
So these are kids, right, in some ways. And so you have the very young. Um, and then here today, going back to Anna and Simeon, you have us, right? <laughs> the older, wiser, mature <laughs> folks. <laughs> right? And, and I think there's I think there's gospel in this story. I think there's good news um, to hear about this. And uh, I hope I'll echo some things that Dave said, and I hope I'll say some things because no one can exhaust any text. And so, uh, just to remind you of the, the setting here, the other thing about this is, um, this is in chapter two, and because it happens after the birth of Jesus, uh, not that many days after, it doesn't make the Christmas pageant, right? We act out the Christmas pageant, and it always ends, if you're, if you're reading the Gospel of Luke, uh, right around verse 20, right? The shepherds come. You sort of can imagine your tableau here in your church where, you, you know, you bring the bathrobed shepherds in, and, and they're, you know... Adoring, and, and Mary is pondering things in her heart, and it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Q, close the curtain. Right? And that's, that's the end, and then we all head out. Right? And then it, the, the, but Luke's story just keeps going, right? It says, And after eight days, Jesus was circumcised according to the law. And then, it doesn't give us the time period, but we know the time period because we know uh, the law that they're fulfilling. Uh, at day 40, they're heading back to the temple, right, for the purification rites and the presentation of Jesus. Now, the law didn't require Jesus to be present, but they're taking Jesus with them. And it's in that setting, just a few, a few short weeks after Jesus' birth, that they're back in the temple. Right. And so now we have this kind of interesting temple sandwich, right? Because remember that Zechariah's story started in the temple, right? And then we went out to Nazareth. We went out to the middle of nowhere for Mary and Joseph's. And now we're back at the temple again, right? Which is kind of interesting, the way that, that Luke uh, frames the story. And it's in this uh, kind of setting where they've come to follow the law, Right? To present Jesus, he's the firstborn son, in, and according to the law, he is he belongs to the Lord, right? And so there's going to be a, a small sacrifice, and as Dave mentioned last time, uh, this sort of easy uh, detail can escape us. It says, uh, we're in chapter 2, if you're looking, um, and it says that they're going to sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and that was... The sacrifice uh, for the first uh, firstborn, uh, if you were poor, okay, if you were poor, uh, otherwise it would be a lamb. Okay, you would sacrifice a lamb. Uh, but the poor, the law made uh, provision if the, if you were poor. So Mary and Joseph are poor, right? Which is easy to forget. And so when Jesus talks about the poor and about God's care for the poor. Uh, he's not talking as an outsider to this. Um, 
he, he grew up poor, uh, a poor family. And so it's in that, in that setting um, where Luke says that there's a man who's, who's come named Simeon. Right? A man who's come named Simeon. And the word Simeon uh, means God has heard. Right? God has heard. Uh, how appropriate it's going to be given uh, what Simeon's waiting for. And Simeon's uh, been waiting. Um, we should read this. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. We also reminded you that Luke's gospel is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Uh, from the very opening passages to the very end, uh, Luke is always showing you where the Holy Spirit is at work. And here the Holy Spirit is, is resting and directing Simeon. Okay. And it says, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, waiting for God to, to bring to fruition all the promises made to Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine having that revealed to you by the Holy Spirit? You've been waiting for generations and generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, and somehow Simeon had, had it revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's anointed one. Right? But he wasn't hanging out in the temple waiting. He goes. Apparently he has a sense. Right? And so he goes. And it says he enters the temple. It's in the spirit he enters the temple, it says. Right? He's in the spirit. Right? Or guided by the spirit or in the spirit. Simon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms. I don't think we'd let that happen today, would we? He went to a public place and some stranger came up and said, excuse me, but I'm, I'm taking your child. Uh, most of us would... Yeah, but Simeon takes this child, Jesus, in his arms. Okay. Imagine that. Right? Takes Jesus in his arms and blesses God. We often don't think of us blessing God. We think of God blessing us. Um, some of your translations may say praise, but it's the same word that in a minute He's going to say he blessed Mary and Joseph. It's the very same word. And it can be translated as praise. They're close together. But I think here it's a good argument to say that he's blessed God. Right? Why? Because he's receiving this extraordinary blessing himself. He's returning a blessing to God for the blessing of this coming to pass, what he'd been promised, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he believes now that he has. And so he takes the child in his arms and blesses God 
And now here we have this third song, right? Third song of the opening two chapters of Luke. And I'm, as I mentioned a number of years, uh, years ago, well, it wasn't last year. Um, this song is typically, it's, it's sung a number of times, actually, depending on which part of the church you're in. Um, if you're following the daily office in the monastery or other places, this is sung in the evening at a service called Compline before you go to bed every night. Okay, this is sung every night before you go to bed. Uh, it's often in some traditions in the Christian, it's also sung at funerals. And in other traditions, it's sung after the Eucharist. All three are very interesting. Uh, but it's a, it's a very powerful central hymn, uh, the song. And what, is, what does he say? What does he sing? Um, the first word is, is now in the Greek. Your translation may have put a different word first, but it, really the emphasis in the Greek is on the first word, and it's now, like finally, right? It's a little bit, like, now some, often has a kind of urgency when you use it, right? Uh, I can think of a number of times when I've told my children to do something, and it seemed to me like they weren't, they didn't get the message. And all I needed was one word. I just look at them and say, now, okay? It's a little bit like that here. Simeon is saying, now, now, you may dismiss your slave, okay? Now, now you may dismiss your slave in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the nations and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, he knew he would not see death until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Like, now you can dismiss me in your peace according to your word. Right? It's a powerful story. It's hard to imagine. Can you imagine? I mean, Mary and Joseph have had a lot to take in up to this point. They've had a sort of like a 40-day rest to sort of take in all that's happened. And you, they must still be wondering, like, who is this kid? Right? And so they go, to, they go to the temple to do their duty. And surprise of surprise. Right? People know things about your child. Right? That you have to wonder, how do they know? How do they know this about our child? Luke goes on to say, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Amazed, astonished. 
But then, after blessing God, Simeon, it says, blessed them, meaning Mary and Joseph, and said to them, now, we don't know here, there's ambiguity about whether what's coming is the blessing or if he blessed them and then added these other words, because these other words don't sound necessarily like a blessing to most of our ears, right? Um, because it reminds us that Jesus' coming uh, creates a crisis. Um, it creates a crisis. It's good news, but it's a crisis. So what does Simeon say to them? Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those are pretty sober words after hearing the other, right? Um, that Jesus is somehow um, going to be a sign. It's going to be destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. There's going to be hostility to him. And part of the hostility in Luke's mind that he's going to show us throughout the rest of his gospel is that people are, Jewish people particularly, uh, his own kin are offend, offended at the breadth of God's mercy. This is one of the themes in Luke's gospel. And people get more upset at Jesus um, just about for anything else because he is hanging out with the wrong people all the time. He can't possibly be the Lord's Messiah because if he was any even self-respecting prophet, let alone the Messiah, he would watch the company he keeps. And so Jesus' coming is going to bring hostility. And there's going to be a sword that pierces Mary's own heart. says there was also a prophet Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher she was of great age having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage then as a widow to the age of 84 that's what this translation is actually more ambiguous than that uh, it's quite possible to translate it that she'd actually been a widow for 84 years okay the text is not clear Either way, I mean, she's either 84 or she's about 105, okay, um, which is quite possible uh, that she, and she also has been waiting, right? We talked about Advent being the season of waiting. She has been waiting in the temple, and as Dave mentioned, I mean, she hasn't, as the text says, she hasn't left the temple. Uh, she's been there. Worshipping there with fasting and prayer day and night. And at that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And again, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, all these are about 
waiting for God's definitive movement, completion of the promises that God had made all the way back to Abraham. And here you have this old woman who's been waiting. And she, again, she sees what's going on. And she becomes one of the first evangelists. And here Luke has again these nice bookends, just in the same way that at Jesus' resurrection, it will be the women who are the first evangelists of Jesus rising from the dead. Here at the birth, we have this old woman who is also praising God and who will tell anyone who will listen about what's going on right in front of them. Right? It's a remarkable story. As I was thinking about this over the last month or so, I just... Part of the reason I want us to focus on, even for two weeks, heaven forbid, um, is again, I've never really paid nearly enough attention to this story. And yet I have found it profoundly moving this Advent and Christmas season. Um, this story particularly. Um, I had never noticed in all these years that um, this notion that Simeon is blessing God and blessing the couple. Right? Um, and I guess, you know, in the, as I was thinking over the last few weeks when I've desperately missed you all because our, our dear members have been dying and I, I was out of town for several of those funerals and couldn't get back. Um, and death doesn't take a holiday. And the holidays are hard for people who have lost people previously, in the previous year. Um, to lose people during the holidays is difficult. Um, and what has struck me about this story that I, that I wanted to encourage you with this morning is um, I think it's easy um, all of you I know considered me still to be a child in many ways you joke, you, you joke with me I'm like you're just a kid still um, but I, I am noticing even in my whatever, however old I am, some of you know exactly how old I am because we just celebrated recently. Um, it's e I think the older you get in this society, it's easy for all of us to focus on our limitations. I find myself more and more thinking about what I can't do that I used to be able to do, right? And it can be frustrating. And if you don't, if you aren't mindful, other people remind you <laughs> of things that you used to do. I mean, a lot of you don't need a lot of reminding. I mean, every time you wake up, 
try to get out of bed in the morning. It's like, I remember very well what I can't do that I used to be able to do. Right? So you, you don't need to be reminded. And in a culture that uh, prizes and validates you know, productivity and doing things and making a difference in the world, and that doesn't really honor the wisdom and maturity and beauty of old age. I'm sure on lots of days it's, it's easy to feel like you're becoming more and more invisible to the world. And you might wonder on some days, like, what do I have to offer? And so I've been thinking about these last few days. The word I want to give you today is try not to think so much about what you can't do. Because I, I absolutely believe in this season of your life that you are enough. Okay. I think that's God's good news to you today, that you are enough. You might feel like you're not enough. You might feel inadequate. I mean, I feel like I've been inadequate my whole life. A lot of us have, right? We all have insecurities. But those insecurities don't go away necessarily when you get older. You just get new insecurities. Right? But I think the good news of this gospel story of Simeon and Anna is that you are enough. Because you are in a position to do something that is extraordinarily beautiful. And that is blessing. Right? Blessing. And I hope whatever you choose to do with the rest of your days, and nobody knows how many days we have left, I hope at least a sizable portion of your remaining energy will be given to blessing. The older I get, the more I realize that's one of the most beautiful things we have to give is blessing. I mean, Simeon blesses God. Right? Blesses God. <coughs> Often when we have funerals, um, we offer eulogies, right? Uh, the Greek word here for blessing God and blessing Mary and Joseph is the Greek word from which we get the word eulogy. It means to say good words about something, right? To offer good words. It's the same, I mean, the Latin for it is benedictus, from which we get the word benediction, which also means good words. So, <coughs> eulogizing, offering a benediction, blessing, all of these things are the same thing, right? And there is a way, 
I truly believe that those who are at the margins of life have a perspective. Something about being at the margins of life focuses your attention. You can see things more clearly. And it gives you a chance, because so many people are so distracted by whatever there is to be distracted about for today. But a person at the margin of life has a kind of clarity of vision that gives them a chance to see things that really are and to bless people and things that need to be blessed. And you, you are uniquely in that position to do that. And that is such a beautiful gift. And it's a gift that not everybody can give. Not with the same kind of power that someone with your maturity and wisdom and life experience and clarity of vision can give. We have a tradition uh, in our house. I don't even remember when it started. We've been doing it for decades. Um, and the more we do it, the more I'm glad we do it. And it, it, it's, it may be one of the central practices of our household. And it gets practiced primarily on birthdays. But one of the th the central thing that we do when we're gathered for birthdays, there will come a time when we're eating together. Sometimes it will happen at dinner, sometimes it will happen at the red cake um, that we always have. But what we do is everyone at the table will bless the person whose birthday it is. Um, they will say something, usually several things, about what it is about that person that they love and appreciate and are thankful for. So siblings will say this about each other. They'll say it about their parents. Parents will say it to their children. Uh, sometimes we'll have friends around the table. They'll be invited if they want to, to also offer a blessing. I can't tell you the power of those moments to shape people's imaginations about who you are. Because I think all of us desperately long to be seen and known and often we don't necessarily feel seen and known to the depth that we'd like to be. But even to have someone in your family, I mean, you can get so caught up in the family about, and I think parents, I mean, I think how many times in my life have I even unintentionally sent signals to my children that I was disappointed with them in some way. If I never said that, I, I could, I'm sure that, that they sense that, right? Because I'm sure I sense that for my own parents, even though it's not like they told me that with any frequency. But to be able to say clearly and with deep conviction and affection to, to bless your children. But it doesn't have to just be your children, right? Because one of the things that happens, I mean, two things happen. One is when you have a practice of blessing uh, even your family, your children, it makes it easier to say these things at other times. Because when do we do this in our society? When do we take the time to slow down and just bless another person by saying what we see in them? Because what's remarkable is, 
I'm pretty sure our children have heard things that we see that they may not have seen in themselves that needed to be affirmed. That's a blessing to think, gosh, somebody sees me. I'm sure some of the things we said they have known. In fact, that's, that's affirming too. Simeon is not too old to bless. Uh, and neither are you. Okay. Neither are you. And you have people in your life, you have friends. And one of the beautiful things, in, and blessing comes not just through words, although I don't want to underestimate the power of words. Um, scripture is very clear about the power of words for good and ill, right? You remember the passage from James 3 where James is sort of bemoaning the fact that out of our mouths comes both cursing and blessing. It says this, this ought not to be, right? But it's so easy for it to be the case. And it's fascinating that the last thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24 before he leaves them in, is he reaches out his hand and blesses the disciples. And it says, Luke says, and as he was blessing them, he left them. So the last thing he did is as he's doing it, he leaves. It's not like he finished it and then left. It's like he's blessing them as he's leaving them. One of the things that moves me about this class is the way that you are present to each other in difficult times. Uh, blessing can often come through words, but sometimes you can bless another person and see them, see their pain just by sitting with them quietly, not saying a thing. And you do that beautifully. And you're not too old to do that. And you can do it in a way that is powerful because people know that with your years of experience and even if we don't know all of your story, but a lot of your stories we do, we know that you know something of what it means to experience the pain that we're going through. And to sit with us is a blessing to listen to someone who needs to be listened to is a gift. It's a blessing. You don't have to be at your A game to listen, right? You don't have to be able to, you know, run that nine minute mile to get the lower insurance uh, premium to sit with somebody and be present. So I just want to, there's a lot to take from the story of Anna and Simeon. But what has struck me this season is the beauty of their faithfulness to God, first of all, but then their willingness to see that they can be a blessing. <coughs> 
they can be a blessing. Um, not despite their old age. Maybe because of it. Right? Maybe because of it. Maybe because of their... I mean, Anna's words are valued, scholars think, is because she is an honored woman. You don't hang out in the temple potentially for 84 years fasting and praying without getting a reputation for being a serious woman. And so when you say something, people listen, right? And they did. And so the years of age on Simeon and Anna are, are not a limitation uh, at all that I can see. It seemed to make possible this beautiful ministry that they have of blessing. And so I want to thank you for the blessing that you've been to me and you are to me uh, week to week. I want to thank you for the blessing that you are to each other and to this church and to this community. And I don't ever want you to minimize the power of that blessing. Um, and so tomorrow morning when you wake up and it's a new day and you've uh, got a new ache or a new pain, I can't tell you not to think about that. But make, what would it be like if each of us, just maybe for this week, maybe this is a challenge for this week, each day when we wake up this week, what would each of what happens if each of us prays, God, show me one person to bless today. And then just, I promise you, if you have the courage to pray, there will be someone in your path, it will be obvious who needs a blessing. I promise you. If you have the courage to pray, and if you pray to have eyes to see, you will see. And just see what joy it is to be an instrument of God to bless. Um, let's pray. We give you thanks, O oh God, on this remembrance of the baptism of Jesus that you spoke words of blessing through your spirit, affirming that Jesus was beloved, that you were well pleased with him. May we sense our own belovedness May we sense that that belovedness gives us a deep capacity to bless others. May we help others see their belovedness by speaking words of blessing, by being present as blessing. May our words and our silences, our presence, our actions, be a blessing this day and in the day to come. And may those blessings 
bring you praise and honor and extend your kingdom, we pray through Christ.